So have you ever wondered why the Bible is so confusing to understand? Or why Genesis is at the beginning and Revelation is at the end? You ever been curious as to why there's a New Testament and an Old Testament? Or what does that even mean? Well, I'm sure these are all questions that some of us have all asked at some point. So that's what Bible school is all about. We're going to go through the Bible and we're going to talk about the semantics of the why, the how, and most importantly, the who. If you'll ride this out with me, we're going to go cover to cover through the Bible and dig deep and see the mysteries that God has revealed to us through this beautiful love letter that he calls his word. You've just tuned in to Bible School with Reverend Kojo. Welcome to Bible School. I'm so glad you decided to tune in with me today. We are in Revelation 9 today. Revelation 9. Now, Revelation 9 is one of the most difficult book chapters of the book of Revelation to decipher. And the book of Revelation is most people's most difficult books to decipher. So I, w- I would bu- I beg to say Revelation 9 is one of those books, chapters in the Bible that is up there with one of the most difficult to decipher in the Bible. Uh, so much so that it's taken me some time to wrestle with it. And I'm not going to say I understand everything about it because I don't. Um, but I've wrestled with it, and we're going to talk about it, okay? Revelation 9, I think it's going to be important that you go spend some time in Joel. Joel, uh, particularly chapters 2 and 3, but really there are only three chapters in the book, so it wouldn't kill you to read one. Uh, but I, I would I would go spend some time there. And I will spend some time there because it's um, it's one of those chapters that, like, kind of like most of the ones we've studied thus far, that kind of reach into the other parts of the Bible. But if you can spend some time there, you'll start to see some of the similarities. And if you can start seeing some of the similarities, it may help you understand better. Now, it may not, but I would start there. Okay, now, I want you to also think about this as it is one of the more difficult uh, texts in the Bible, um, the Holy Spirit, because we're about to get into some really heavy stuff, the Holy Spirit, or the Great Restrainer, um, has been removed at this point. And I want you to picture a world where sin runs rampant. And I, and I know when I said that, a lot of you were thinking, well, look at today, you know, look at today. Sin is running rampant today. But even today, the Christian is still present on the earth. And with the Christian still being present on the earth, that means that the Holy Spirit is still holding some things back because he made us a promise. He said, no weapon formed against you should prosper. He never made us a promise that there wouldn't be weapons formed. At no point did he say that the evil would not happen. What he said is that they wouldn't prosper. They could not win you. They could not take from you. Uh, We can even look back to Job, how Job lost so much, but it couldn't take his life. Um... We look at Simon, when, when, when Jesus and Simon had the conversation, Simon Peter, and he says, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you like as wheat, but I've prayed for you. And once you uh, recover, get up and strengthen the others. At no point does he, does he suggest that in your Christianity, uh, does the Holy Spirit keep us from trial or tribulation, from peril, from Satan's sifting or Satan's intervention, Satan's attempting to get you to fall. At no point do we see that in the Bible. No point do we see that in our walk with God. But what he does promise is that the, the weapons that Satan attempts to throw at you, the tools he uses against you to get you to fall, that they cannot win. What happens when the Christian is gone? And the restrainer, that sealing, that protection, the protective mechanism that's been keeping us day from day to day. That blood, that gives me strength. What happens when that retainer is removed? I can remember being in, in, ele- in uh, I was in elementary school back during Hurricane Katrina. And I remember um, how they, there was a lot of talk about the levees and how, you know, Hurricane Katrina was a bad hurricane, but it wasn't that bad. And if the levees would have held, it wouldn't have been as bad. But because the levees broke, the thing that retained the water, you built a city underwater. But the thing that had been holding the water back for, for, for years and years, if the levees would not have broken, the city would have been preserved. 
all the people who lost their lives, that lost their loved ones, that lost their homes, and many who are yet to return to New Orleans, all of that which was lost would have been preserved if the, if the levy or the retainer would have been there. It, it also takes me back to, to here. Um, I had braces as a kid, me and my sister both. My sister had braces twice because her teeth were just kind of rough. And I had them once because my parents didn't believe in doing for one that they didn't do for others because my teeth were fairly straight. But I had two crooked teeth, and I had one that was backwards in the back. And they said, we can't fix Aaron's mouth and not fix your mouth. And so I got braces to fix three teeth. <laughs> and Aaron had a lot more, way more severe issues than I had. Uh, but there's this thing called a retainer. Um, and after two sets of braces, Aaron refused to wear the retainer. After one set of, of, of braces, I wear the retainer every night. And my teeth have yet to go back. They're still pretty. They're still, you know, straight and all that good stuff. Her teeth, although they've not gone all the way back, they, they're not as pretty and straight as they were before because the retainer keeps them from going back. Can you imagine a world where the levees were never built or the levees break? Can you imagine a world where there are no retainers to keep things straight and in order. A world where the very force that was keeping evil at bay breaks. And I know that's rough to understand. We, we're, we're hearing wars and rumors of wars. We've got tyrants everywhere, even in the White House. And chaos is happening on every side. We've got corruption in Washington. We're watching all types of things, ungodly things happen. We're watching uh, schools begin to allow Satan's pal Bible study or, or, or satanic studies to happen right alongside of first priority and fellowship of Christian athletes. We're watching the tide turn. We're watching people go to Burning Man competitions and try to have spiritual encounters with things other than Jesus where Buddhism and many other faiths are becoming more and more common. People are reaching for the occult. And one would say that the retainer is gone, but the retainer is still yet here because the Christian is here. Imagine a world where even the evil that we see has full and free reign. That's where we are today. Well, that's where we are today in Revelation 9. We're in the place where the retainer is, is gone. He's not holding evil back at all. As a matter of fact, we're about to see evil is about to get the key. All right, verse 1. And the fifth angel sounded, and I saw a star from heaven unto the earth, and to him was given the key to the bottomless pit. The fifth angel sounded. So we're still in the trumpet judgments. And he said, I saw a star fall from heaven unto the earth. Now that, that is reminiscent of, of when we see the fall of Satan. I also I actually think that this is what it's a reference to. Uh, you remember when we hear the story of, of, of the fall of Satan, Satan was an angel. In case you didn't know, here's, here's, here's a history lesson and a Bible lesson wrapped in one. In case you didn't know, Satan was an angel. Not only was he an not an not only was he an angel, but he was of the likes of Gabriel and Michael. His name was Lucifer. Now you know Michael is the chief warrior. He runs the army, uh, unless Jesus takes the baton, like we saw last last time. He runs that Michael is the fighter. He goes, he sends him to fight. Gabriel is the chief messenger. Not to say that there aren't other messengers, but Gabriel is the chief messenger. And Lucifer was the chief worship leader. Uh, they, they, they ran their things with great precision. Now, to tell you that Gabriel is the chief messenger and Michael is the chief warrior, uh, I need you to understand that in order for Lucifer to be in the same league as them, Lucifer was good at what he did. Oh, you talk about something, uh, he could bring the glory and he could bring worship and he could throw himself on the altar. Uh, Lucifer was a worshiper. And one day, Lucifer desired to be worshiped more than he desired to worship. Now, I, I'm going to pause there and I'm gonna, I promise you I'm going to get back to Revelation, but I, just, I, I need to take a second to say 
that sometimes we, be, we, we get so into being worshipped that we forget we were created to worship. Or we want somebody to tell us how good of a job we did. Mm. Pat me on the back. Tell me how well I preached that sermon. Tell me how well I sang that song, played that, played that piano, how well I did X, Y, Z. Oh, you know, I put that program together. It was wonderful. I, I am killing it. I got all the degrees. My house is beautiful. My business is successful. Where, how, what would we ever do without you? We all love to hear it. We all love to hear it. But Lucifer had fallen into the trap. Lucifer fell into the, the trap that somebody patted him on the back one time too many. The song he sang touched them in a way, and all of a sudden his heart shifted from being that of a worshiper to desire to be worshiped. And that's a dangerous place. And I think Lucifer is, is, is a telling example that, that when we go from the desire to worship and to be in the presence of God where there is fullness of joy and we literally cannot find a better state to be in, when we take ourselves from that place to, to this desire to be worshipped, we are not good enough. We can't handle worship because we have too many holes to pick at. See, the thing, the reason we can worship God with freedom and with truth is because even when we ask our questions or we get confused, we can throw a hissy fit at God and God is always going to have an answer. Because there is no holes in who he is. We're not going to find an issue or, or, or a hole that we can poke at and say that he's fallible. We are fallible. And so was Satan. Or Lucifer, rather. So, when he decides that he wants to be worshipped, he comes up with a plan on how to overthrow God. Dumb, 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 dumb. And, of course, because God is omniscient and omnipotent, he throws Satan and all of his cohorts... All the guys who thought it was a good idea throws them out of heaven. Throws them down to the earth. And that story sounds like I saw a star fall from heaven. Because that word, that word uh, is, 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 they're referring to it as a being or as a person. So we know it's not a physical star. Uh, this particular chapter is full of many metaphors and similes. And I know I've been working really hard throughout this entire study to, to decipher metaphor from reality. But we see so many as it were's, uh, so many similes, so many metaphors here in this particular chapter, which makes it so difficult to decipher. Uh, but we can, we can assume here, or ascertain rather, that this, this star here is a being, and by what he's given, we, we can believe that it's Satan. So he was given the key to the bottomless pit, which means he didn't have access to his own house. Okay? That's just that's how much in control God is. Satan didn't have access to his own house, but but he gave him the key to the bottomless pit. Now that bottomless pit, that word uh in the Greek is called abusos. Okay? Abusos means the bottomless pit. It is a place, and it's a place where the demons dwell, but they hate it. Okay? And we're we're gonna spend some time there a little bit later in, in, in tonight's study. Uh, but, but they hate it there. They, they despise being there. They try to avoid being there by all, uh, by all means, all ways possible. But he gets the key to the bottomless pit. Now, I just want, I want to ask the question, where is the bottomless pit? Where is the bottomless pit? The bottomless pit, I don't know. I don't have, I don't, I don't know. But if I had to guess... Where can you go that it would only draw you closer to the center? And my guess would be the core of the earth. Now, I could be wrong. I could be wrong. And I heard Chuck Missler say it, too. And I, I thought about what he said. And it made me think it, it could be the core of the earth. But I also know this is that particle physics has ten dimensions. Humans only can know four. Four are only knowable to us. We, we cannot ascertain all the other four, but we know that there are ten, which tells us of the great deity of God. Uh, so it very well could be in another dimension that we are not knowable. We can't know or we can't measure, okay? So, you know, that, but that's, that's just something we can think about, we can, we can deal with. But I want you to get familiar with this idea, is that demons are real. Okay, I didn't tell you that story about Satan and his minions falling out of heaven for my health. Demons are real. And they're not dummies. 
Okay, I think we we think about them as you know these these one trick wonders. These are highly militarized guys who were trained to worship. They you know their their job is to worship and carry out the job of um of their leader. You know there's this movie there's this movie series called The Minions. Uh, it was like the Despicable Me, and then the Minions came and all that good stuff. And I was going to play it at the church until I sat down and really watched it because, you know, you got really cool colors and, you know, cool cool, cool anima- animation. I was going to play it at a um, lock-in at the church. And as I was sitting there watching the movie, I realized that the number one job of the Minions, and they say this in the movie, is to serve evil. And this is a cartoon. This is, you know, like in the last several, couple of years, this series has become very popular among children. Um but their whole purpose is to serve evil. Okay, from the very from the day that they were created, their whole job was to serve evil. Now they're just as squishy and as as comical. They got their own little language and they're funny, but their job is to serve evil. I'm going to submit this to you um, that a lot of us miss is that most of the things that are deceiving and are evil have in this day and age been packaged to seem squishy, to seem comical, to seem reasonable, to seem like something that would not hurt us. To see it, it, he is the chief of deception. That's why so many people are doing yoga and are being mindful. And the interesting thing to me is I sat there and I, uh, I was looking into this whole mindfulness thing. And um, I was listening to a guy who is like this mindfulness um, leader. And he was saying, well, you don't have to just beware. You know, in, if, if, you, if you start practicing this, and when he fell from the earth like lightning, you know, that's because Jesus, be, not because Jesus, but because uh, he was on punishment and he decided he wanted to take over. But I, I feel like that verse is very reminiscent uh, of, of what was happening. The star was falling from heaven uh, or, you know, all of that good stuff. Well, it's not good stuff, but it's stuff. But I, I want you to see this. I want you to see this, right? Um, because we were talking about this this bottomless pit that Satan dwells in, we believe Satan is the uh, star that has fallen from heaven. Uh, we believe that um, Satan is that there these demons, uh, these demon armies are on the way, um, and we believe that Satan has been given this key. Okay, Satan has been given this key, and I want you to notice that Satan had to be given the key. Okay, so this tells us that this is not God or Jesus because he would already own the keys. We've already covered that. But he's given this key or he's given this access to go and cut up. He's given this authority to be his nasty rank self. Okay? Now, I want you to also see this, though, because in Luke 8, verse 28, 28, he says, And when he saw Jesus, he cried out. He fell down before him and with a loud voice said, What do have I to do with thee, Jesus Son of the Most High, High God, I beseech thee, torment me not. Okay, I'm give you a little context. This is the guy who was talking about the um, demoniac, the guy who was possessed with like the legion of demons, thousands of demons he had on the inside of him. And he, you know, he fights, he presses his way uh, to Jesus. Now, I want you to see this because because he says, I beseech you to torment me not. Um, we could we could we could um, believe that in in the original text it says, do you come to torment me before my time? Um, and so he understands the demons understand because the demons speak for him. The demons understand that there is going to come a time that Jesus is going to or Jesus God the Godhead is going to torment them. They understand that they've not paid the full penalty for what they've done. They understand that. But even in their understanding, they fail. They do not admit. It's like they're fighting a losing battle that they know that they lose, but they're still going to fight it for hope that they might win. Okay, they're gonna they're gonna fight it for for hope that they might win. Maybe we can possess enough people, get enough people to renounce the name Jesus, get enough people to turn from their faith. If we can get enough folks. Maybe, just maybe, we can we can win this war. Maybe we can call this thing a win. Maybe we can come into a place where uh, we can come in dominion. This is it's delusional. But it's ironic to me that they're, that how as delusional as it is, um, that's kind of how a lot of people who fall into the occult or into the demonic uh, type of religions or faiths or practices, 
it's kind of delusional as well, just like that. It, I find it ironic that the, the calls by the demons and the devil is delusional. And, and, and they demonstrate time and time again that they understand that God has power, that, that there is no name above his name, that, that in the end he has infinite wisdom. Uh, but yet they try. They try. They try. They try. They try. It's kind of like this. If you've ever watched in world history um, or, or in the news, you know, maybe not even history. <laughs> we can come into present time. If you've ever paid attention, have you ever noticed that, um, or in conversation, not even the news, that the Muslims hate the Christians, you know, the extremists, they hate the Christians. Jews are not too keen on Christians. The Buddhists are not too keen on Christians. The Hindus are not too keen on Christians. Uh, but they all seem to get along with each other, okay? Uh, the Muslims don't like the Jews. Uh, but they, you know, but, but, but if, a, if a Hindu, Hindi, walks up and an atheist is talking, they all seem to get along. But there is this, this disdain for anything Christian. There's a reason they pull prayer out of schools, you know, uh, there's a reason they pull prayer out of schools. There is an understanding that there is power in prayer. And so Satan is well aware, and as he possesses and as he influences, he is convincing people that you've got to get this prayer thing out, that the Christians are wrong. And so in this delusion, that because, because if prayer wasn't powerful, y'all sit with me here, and, and, and we're going to work through the scriptures, but I want you to think through these scriptures and understand them. If prayer was not powerful, why does it matter if it's in schools? If it's not powerful, if it could do nothing to the child who is Jewish or to the Muslim, if it could not influence, if it could not change grades, if it could not change mindsets, mentalities, change outcomes, why does it matter whether the children pray or not? If it was as powerless as they would suggest, why does it matter? We see here in this, this verse in Luke, and we're going to continually see that Satan and the demons understand that there is power in the name Jesus. They understand it. They understand it. But they are delusioned, constantly delusioned in believing that they will win. And so they peddle this idea that you have to disarm the Christian. And people fall by that sword day in and day out because they refuse to get to know him for themselves. Okay? And I know I push this idea, but they refuse to get to know him for themselves. They refuse to study for themselves. They refuse to listen. They refuse to, to get in his face and encounter him face to face. And they're influenced by the lie. Because this is the truth. And I was sitting there having a conversation yesterday. Um, and somebody who I've known all of my life and, and, and is, is very faithful to the faith asked me uh, about a, a black comedian who is from my hometown who, who is recently walking into promotion and he was saying I'm woke now you know that's a term and I'm questioning who is King James and in my, my initial thought is good you ought to you ought to question who is King James and you should question who is King Jesus and you should question this stuff but if you would properly search see the problem is the issue that he fell into this this the, this comedian the issue that he fell into is that he trusted what people had told him whole, his whole life and he never studied. He grew up in church. I know exactly where he, the church he grew up, been there several times, know the pastor. Grew up right there and trusted what he said verbatim. So when that pastor heard him, his the pastor's word meant more than what Jesus' word meant. And, and the same has happened over and over again. And the truth of the matter is, is until we get to the place where we study this thing for ourselves, until we pray for ourselves and we spend time with Jesus for ourselves, We'll be, we'll be continually um, caught and lost by the delusion, okay? So I want, I want you to think about that. Think on that um, as we continue. Verse 2. Oh, isn't it lovely? We're making great time, terrible time. Uh, <laughs> verse 2, and it says, And he opened the bottomless pit, and there rose smoke out of the pit, and the smoke of a great furnace, and the sun and the air were darkened by reason of the smoke of the pit. And there came out of the smoke locusts upon the earth, and unto them was given power, as the scorpions of the earth have power. Now, I want you to go back to Egypt, back, go back to the plagues of Egypt, right before the, the um, children of Israel get delivered. The eighth plague in Egypt were regular locusts, okay? And the plagues of Egypt were never to be repeated, which tells us that these here that we're talking about in verse 3 are not literal, literal locusts. 
Um, but we also have to understand that these are not little locusts because in Proverbs we're taught that the locusts don't have a king, okay? We're taught that. We, we see that in Scripture. And I'm, I'm going I'm to go to that Scripture a little bit later. When we <laughs> I'm not going to go there today because we're not doing great on time, but I'm going to go there. But the, the, just know that there's a, there's a verse in Proverbs. We'll get to it in a little bit. Um, but the, the, that they don't have a king. Locusts don't have a king. All right, here we go. Verse 4. And it was commanded them that they should not hurt the grass of the earth, nor either in the green thing, neither in a tree, but only those men which have not the seal of God on their foreheads. Now, first thing I want you to notice is that the first four trumpet judgments um, seem to have been natural disasters. They seem to be against the earth and not against the people, okay? Uh, that was the first thing. The second thing I want you to notice here is that these people, the people who don't have the seal on their foreheads. Now, the people who are sealed, uh, this could be the folks from Revelation 7. Uh, remember we talked about those, the 144,000 Jews, uh, and then the fruit thereof when they looked and there wasn't a number that could be numbered, okay? Um, but maybe it's a broader group. Maybe there's more that come out. Um, but I think what's important here is to be exempt from this chaos you're going to need some supernatural sealing. And that's why, why I say when I teach the book of Revelation is that you need to be sealed. You need to be sealed. You need to be sealed by the Holy Spirit. The truth of it, here, here, is, the, here is the truth. Um, the things that are happening in the book of Revelation do, should not make the Christian nervous. They might make you nervous for your loved ones who, who refuse to receive Christ. Uh, but the, the goal is not to make you nervous. The, the, the goal here is so that you would be informed that you would understand and so that when you're sitting from the balcony aka heaven that you would say oh I remember studying that <laughs> and now that I've studied that I understand what they're saying okay but this could you know but I, I think the key here is that you want to make sure that you are sealed and because we are between resurrection we are, we are between uh, Pentecost and rapture I think it's, it's so important that you get on this boat, uh, to me, you know, and, and maybe I'm biased. I think it's, it's the best group. You know, we've talked about all the groups. And maybe you want to be a Jew. That's up to you. But to me, it seems like the safest group is to be saved now. And that's, that's my personal opinion. I'm going to move on. I'm not going to get on that. <laughs> I'm not going to get on that one today. Verse 5, and to them it was given that they should not kill them, but that they should be tormented five months. And their torment was as the torment of a scorpion when it striketh a man. Now, I have never been bit by a scorpion. Uh, pray that I never get bit by a scorpion. Uh, but from what I understand about a scorpion bite is that it's said to be excruciating. That when it does, that men often think that they're about to die. And not only do they think that they're about to die, that it lingers. That even after the scorpion is gone, that it lingers, the pain lingers, and it, and it, 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 it is often debilitating for some time, and it, that it just sits there, and it, it bothers you, and it's not good. I think that this particular verse is a precursor to where we're about to read um, this very next verse. Um, and actually, let's let's go ahead and read verse six so that I can compare the two. Verse six it says, "And in those days, men will seek death and shall not find it, and shall desire to die, and death shall flee from them." The men are going to be so desperate. It's a puzzling verse. But can you think about this? The men are going to be so desperate that they're going to attempt suicide and will not die. Now, there are several things that, that I, I sit there and I think about. But you, can you think about that? You, you, you not only get gory, but you, you pull the trigger. And you feel the pain of your skull imploding. But instead of instant death, you feel the pain of your skull imploding. You feel the blood leaving your veins, but even as the blood leaves your veins, you're still gasping for breath. Okay. Imagine having a heart attack and the excruciating pain is going through the entire body. I mean, your hands hurt. I mean, you are just struggling, 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 struggling. And as you're struggling, you feel, you feel the pain, and you see the white light, but the white light gets further and further from you. Imagine drowning. The water fills your, your lungs. And as the water fills your lungs, 
you're thinking this will be your last breath. And I don't know if you've ever had water in your lungs. Like, it sucks. Like, it really sucks. The water's in your lungs, and you're coughing up the water, but that feeling that you're about to die lingers, and the worst of it just sits on your chest. Men will search for death, and it will flee from them. You know, I was talking to my dad about this verse earlier today, and what he said to me is, it sounds like hell. I said, it sure does. <laughs> it, it, it does. It sounds, it sounds like hell. But I think that's the point. I think it's worse than, it's probably worse than hell. Um, but men, men are going to be so desperate that they're not going to be able to find hell. I mean, they're not going to be able to find death. Now, uh, verse 7, And the shapes of the locusts were like unto horses, prepared unto battle, and on their heads were, as it were, crowns like gold, and their faces were as the faces of men. Now, I want you to notice here that this is full of similes. I know up until this point, we've, I've tried to take a very literal approach, but I want you to notice that where we see, as it were, is a simile or a metaphor. Um, and so, but I, I want you to see that I think that this is a demon army being described. They are like these are horses prepared for battle, and their heads were like crown, as it were crowns of the gold. Their faces were like men. I think these are, these are demonic creatures preparing to take make war on mankind. Um, now, I want you to also think about this. Natural locusts look like horses that have armor on, okay? Uh, so much so that the ger German term uh, for locust is Hipford, uh, which literally means hay horse, okay? You know, Calvary, come on now. Uh, not Calvary the hill, but Calvary like, you know, the horse and the soldier. Uh, the Italian term uh, is, is cavaletta. Cavaletta means little horse, okay? So locusts resemble um, that, they resemble what we would expect uh, warriors on horses to look like. Now, that's interesting because uh, he's using, he's describing what he sees to resemble that he, he expects it to be similar to such. All right. Verse 8. And they had hair as the hair of women, and their teeth were like the teeth of lions. And they had breastplates, as it were, and breastplates of iron. And the sound of their wings was as the sound of chariots of many horses running to battle. Now, I'm going to say this. I'm kind of grateful that I've never experienced a Middle Eastern locust plague. Uh, but apparently it's one of the most miserable, par miserable parts about it is that they sound, uh, the sound of them munching. Um, and, and let's not forget that these are demonic creatures. And so their job is to kind of be annoying and, and to be eerie and to make this as miserable as possible. Um, and so... You know, he's describing them, but yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm imagining these wings uh, kind of like flies in my ear and like amplify that how annoying it is and how it makes you squirm and makes you want to run away and all, all of that. Now, uh, verse 10, and they had tails unto scorpions and they were, there were stings in their tails and, and the power was to hurt men five months. Now, if you want to cross-reference that, I would encourage you to go to Isaiah 9, uh, 14 through 15, and try to check out Amos 5, 18, 18 through 19. All right. And just to cross-reference that, I'll let you do that on your own. Verse 11, and they had a king over them, which is the angel of the bottomless pit, uh, pit whose name in Hebrew tongue is Abaddon, but in the Greek tongue had his name Apollyon. Go to Proverbs 30. I told y'all I was going to go to this verse. I, 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 I promise you, I try to keep my word. Proverbs 30, verse 27. Just a random proverb. He says, And the locusts have no king, yet they go forth, all of them, by bands. Okay? Now, to tell you this idiomatically, whatever it is, is like a locust, but it, this tells us, because the Bible, Bible doesn't contradict itself, that these folks are not real locusts, okay? First, because Jesus, God said that he wasn't going to repeat the plague of, plagues of Egypt. But second, because these locusts have a king. So these are not lo uh, natural locusts. The locusts don't have a king. Now, the other piece of this is that um, his guy, this guy's name 
is usually tra- is is a baton, uh, and a baton is, is translated destruction. Now the other piece of this is that his his the other translation of his name is Apollyon, which is destroyer. That sounds like Satan, okay? <laughs> I mean, we we have other evidence that this is probably him, but but I think it it, it very interesting that this is indeed Satan. All right, verse twelve. One woe is past, and behold, there comes two woes here more hereafter. So we're just on on on, on woe number one, or trumpet number five. We're just we're just there, and then there's two more that are that are gonna get worse, and they're coming. And so you know we we're reading that, we're trying to understand it, and you're kind of like, whoa, really? Is that bad? But he's giving them authority. All right. Verse 13, and the sixth angel sounded, and I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar, which is before God. This is the second demon army. And this is also the the altar of incense. Now, in case you don't remember, I think I said it last week. If I didn't say it last week, I said it the week before. It is imperative. If you're going to be a serious student of scripture, you need to get familiar with the tabernacle and the temple. You need to understand uh, the furniture there and the purpose of the furniture and why it's there because it draws a more accurate picture of Jesus Christ. It draws a more, and if it draws an accurate picture of Jesus Christ, it draws a much more accurate picture of God and what he, how he desires to be worshipped and how he wants to be viewed and how he wants his people to see him. All right. Um, now, but this is the altar of incense. It's clear that this is the altar of incense because it's, he, they put it on the four horns of the golden altar. It's got four horns. Um, and then this is the altar of incense. This is where we pray. This is where the, the prayers of the saints are offered. And so there, there are four angels which are, well, wait, 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 I skipped. He said, I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar which before before God. So he heard a voice speaking out of the place where we can hear God. Wow, it's kind of deep. Let's move on. Verse 14, saying to the sixth angel, which had the trumpet, loose the four angels, which are bound in the great river Euphrates. Now, I should have noticed this. Uh, Force usually suggests that it has something to do with creation. Okay, the four corners of the earth, four compass directions, um, in, in, in even, let's go a little bit deeper. Uh, even in particle physics, there are ten dimensions. Four are knowable by men. Uh, or measurable by men, and six are not, okay? So we, we can measure four dimensions, and, and then there are other dimensions that we are not capable of measuring uh, because in our humanity, God is, you know, he's, he's, a, he's a wonder. And, you know, that's one of the things that I say, I've been saying since day one of the podcast, that all sound science points back to God. It is my belief that sound, the science that is, that is law always points back to God, always. Even when you try to make it not, which many scientists for several years have tried to, it always points back to God. All right. But I want you to notice this, that the, uh, the four are not, um, the four are not good guys. They've been bound. Okay. And I want you to notice that because you might, that might be something that's easy to miss is that, that they're bound in the Euphrates. So these, these angels that are bound somewhere are not guys who are still on the side of God, okay? I know we use the word angel. The word angel is here and not demon, but that word angel, sometimes Satan is referred to as an angel, and he used to be an angel, but we know that it's not uh, in the goodness or the protective mechanism or the worshiping uh, title by which he used to hold, okay? But these, these are not good guys. Now, there are a lot of mythical implications of the river Euphrates, and the Bible is back to confirming them. I cannot recall if I recorded it on a podcast yet, and if I haven't, you can expect it one day soon. But I, it is my belief that a lot of the things that mythology comes up with, I don't think it's all wrong. I think that it is a misinterpretation of what has happened in, in times. I think we start seeing them talking about mythology or the giants. Uh, we know that God destroyed the earth for those things or because of those things. But you had angels uh, or demons, you know, however you want to look at it, sleeping with people. And so some funky stuff happened in the earth. And as some funky stuff happened in the earth, um, we start seeing creatures created that God didn't intend to be created. Um, 
And so I, you know, when we start thinking about these mythical implications of, of the Euphrates, uh, and the Euphrates is the eastern uh, boundary of Israel, it, it gives us a lot of history, a lot of things to think about, okay? Now, um, I want you to think about the Roman Empire back in, back in its heyday. The Roman Empire back in its heyday uh, managed to control most of the known world of that time, but it was afraid of the Parthian Empire, which was on the other side of the Euphrates. I mean, like, they stopped right short of the Euphrates because they didn't want to have to go and deal with the, um, the Parthians. And the, the Parthians had some interesting things going on in, in their, myth, um, their theology, rather. And I don't know, I don't want to really use the theology, but in, in their belief system, rather. So, um, but their empire manages to, to was, was on the other side of the Euphrates, and they are where the Magi, or their priests came from. And these Magi, um, these Magi are powerful, um, and when I say powerful, they can tap into the dark side of spirituality. And, and that's another thing, like when I talk about, when I was talking about the demons earlier, just because somebody can show you signs and wonders doesn't mean that they are of God or sent by God. Just because somebody has, has the ability to do something or to do something that you can't do, that does not mean that they come in the name of Jesus. Uh, God is not the only supernatural creature that has powers, quote unquote, but he is the ultimate. You know, that's why he's ascribed the title Lord of Lords. He's the Lord of the Lords. Come on. He, that's why he's King of Kings. He's the King of the Kings. Uh, that's, that's, you know, that's, that's, that's why he's ascribed all of these, these top tier, that's why Elohim, you know, the is ascribed to him. You know, it's, it's, it's he's not, he's not uh, one of, but he's the. Um, but in the his his theos or his his theness, um, I think it's important to understand that when he made it, the angels, which that's all you know, it's, it all, that's all it is is the angels who created decided that am I going to be good or am I going to be bad? When he created the angels, he created them with the ability to be supernatural, just like he did us. We just aren't that great at tapping into it. All right. Moving right along, that so I really want to make this point is that the Euphrates was actually located east of Eden, and I think it, I find it incredibly ironic that most of the demonic religions, or all the demonic religions um, that have demonic roots, are located east of the Euphrates. And and here's the thing: I'm going to go ahead and say this, and I'm going to say it on the record. And if you get upset with me, you're going to be upset with me. Um. If you're not worshiping the one true living God, you're worshiping a demon. I'm serious. You're worshiping a demon. I don't care if you say that you are posing or doing the whole yoga thing or, or what you think. Anything short. Wow. Verse 17, he says, And thus I saw horses in the vision. And them that sat on them, having breastplates of fire and of jacinth and brimstone, and the heads of the horses were as heads of lions, and out of their mouths issued fire and smoke and brimstone. Now he gives us some really bright, some really vivid imagery. You can see all these colors coming together. Uh, the colors are striking, but what's more bothersome to me than the colors are the the um, the animals or the creatures. You know, these creatures, they got breastplates of fire. You know, they colors, they got heads of horses. Um, they got heads of horses that are like heads of lions. I don't even know how to wrap my brain around that. And out of their mouth issued smoke and fire, so when they speak instead of words, death, I mean, come on, it's like dragons. <laughs> it's like dragons and horses and... I mean, it's, it's a big old mess. So, like, you know, you got colors that are striking, but these these creatures are disturbing. And I don't even think you need to understand what all that, that is. I think what that is is to show you that these creatures are not like anything you've seen before. They've come to destroy and to, and to wreak and to torment and to cause fear and chaos. That's their whole job. Verse 18. By these three was the third part of men killed by the fire and by the smoke and by the brimstone which was issued out of their mouth for their power is in their mouth 
and in their tails, for their tails were like unto serpents and had heads, and with them they do hurt. I think that's interesting. Their power was in their mouth. Who? In your power in your mouth. Hmm. Great architect, right? Their power was in their mouth and in their tongue and, and in their tails. For their tails were like serpents and had heads. But see, the difference is that they're like serpents by which God put a curse on. So we know this is not God. Well, we know God is allowing it, but this is Satan. Because his people resemble the very thing he was. He, he was. They got, well, he didn't get him put out. But it caused more chaos in his life, made God even more angry with him. <sighs> Verse 20. And the rest of the men, which were not killed by the plagues, yet repented not of their works of their hands, that they should not worship devils and idols of gold and of silver and brass and of stone and of wood, ne which neither can see nor hear nor walk. They made a commitment to idolatry. They made a commitment to idolatry. They repented not. They didn't, they didn't, they didn't say, God, I'm sorry. They didn't turn around. They didn't say, hey, what do I have to do to be saved? No, none of that. They didn't, they, none of that. They didn't repent. You know, it's kind of sad that there's none that's that seeking God. But that makes me ask the question, when the Holy Spirit is missing, how can men be drawn? He does the drawing. We're the vessel. But he does the drawing. There are few people I've had the privilege of personally discipling. You know, I guess I do a lot of teaching, but there are a few people I've, I've personally done the privilege of discipling. And what's always interesting is when you have somebody who is atheist, agnostic, or from a different faith, you know, you'll be talking about Jesus, and then and 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 mo at the beginning, their heart is kind of cold. And as the Holy Spirit does the work, because there are people who their heart doesn't trip, they start to ask questions. And they, there's a there they they start to have an interest in what they think is you. So they start asking questions, working through their curiosity. And as they work through their curiosity, they they start to ask, but what happens when there's chaos on the earth? And the Holy Spirit's not, you know, he's 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 kinda not not there anymore. I mean I, I believe he's there, but he's he's not doing the drawing. How can men be drawn? So these men are not repenting, their hearts are cold and hard, and they they are still proud of their delusion, even though it's clear as delusion. And that's the thing about being delusional. You'll believe a thing that everybody else can see is folly. You'll see, you'll say something that is crazy and believe that it's true. You know? It's like saying, hey, I'm, <laughs> I'm trying to tread lightly here. <laughs> I'm really trying to. It's, it's like saying that you're something that you're not. And looking in the mirror and believing that you're that thing, even though you can see that you're not. Delusions. But there's there's this 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 commitment to to idolatry without people realizing it, and we 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 lean into it more and more every day. Every time we buy a car, and we spend more time with the car than we spend with the Lord. Every time we pick up that phone before we say thank you, Lord, for waking me up this morning, God, I'm so grateful that you you would you would wake up me. That you would, you would, you would love me. Every time we roll over on Sunday morning and say, "No, I'm tired, not today." Every time we do that, we we roll into idolatry, because all idolatry is is putting something above God. Oh yeah, we do it all the time, and we don't we don't call it idolatry. That's the delusion. We don't call it idolatry, but that's what it is. And then we get sucked into things when our lives go. Cuckoo. Oh no, don't pray. We need more than prayer, baby. There ain't nothing more powerful than prayer. Now faith without works is dead. But you need to pair pair something with your prayer. And yoga ain't one of them things. <laughs> I would encourage you to read Psalm 115. But I'm gonna say this very few people seek to worship demon, demons. But a lot of people fall into the trap because they're ignorant. And not book ignorant, I'm talking about ignorant of the powers and the forces that, that are at work. And I'm going to just say that. 
Psalm one thirty five. Let's go there, and then we'll we'll close out Revelation ten. I'll go ahead and read the last verse or so, and we'll, we'll close it out. But Psalm one thirty five. I think it's important that we go here. Eighteen. He says, "They that make them are like unto them, so is everyone that trusts in them." We become what become like what we worship. We worship power. We'll find ourselves enslaved. Hmm. If we worship things, we'll find ourselves inanimate, without feeling. It's really interesting. I've watched a close family member of mine who never knew his mother and grew up in poverty worship without knowing it a car because it was the first Cadillac he was able to buy and if I he ever heard this he'd probably kill me but I've, I've watched him worship his car and his children have watched him worship his car so much so that you know he likes to joke that he's going to take it to the grave oh my god but him worshiping this mechanical vehicle that he can't ever keep well, he's throwing all his money into it, has made him bitter and cold like the car. The car is always cold, it's always, it's roaming, it's old. <laughs> but it's, 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 it, it, it can't show him affection. And so he worships this inanimate object, you know, always, always talking about it, spending time with it, treating it like it's better than his wife. Um, but all that it is, it's cold. It, it, it can't stay on. So he's cold with people. It sucks money, but never gives back. So he's the same way. Um, it, it's kind of crazy how that works. But because we become like what we worship. I heard somebody say that they went to uh, e Egypt and while they were Egypt in Egypt, they uh, they worshipped death without realizing it. You know, they worshipped all of these little GODs, um, but they worshipped death. You know, all the mummies and the pyramids and and all of these things you would you, you thought, but they worshipped death. And what's interesting is Egypt ruled the world, one of the first civilizations to rule the world, but their people live in poverty. And not just poverty, they live in sewage. Because you become like what you worship. You know, I've I've watched people worship their pastors, which is dangerous, might I add. I've watched people worship their pastors. And the sins of their pastors began to rub off on them. Become we become like what we worship. But what I think about is what if we truly worship God? You know, not the idea of him and the idea of what he could do. What if we truly worship God? We would be full of love and joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness, meekness. Oh, man, wouldn't that be amazing? We'd have power, Holy Ghost power. We'd have influence, we'd have wisdom and stature. Oh man, if we really worship God like we worship our Facebook profile and our Instagram views, if we really worship God like the car that we drive all the time that we spend, or like we worshiped ourselves, Romans 1, what if what if what if we really put God at number one? And I'm gonna be I'm gonna be really transparent with you all. I had an epiphany just just about an hour or two ago that I don't want anything that God is not gonna bless. You know how we pray prayers like we're gonna twist the arm of God and God, would you just allow it? Let me do this thing. I don't want anything that God is not gonna bless because anything that God is not gonna bless, I don't. Why would I want that in my life? Because, because, you know, there are levels to the will of God. And one day I'll teach on this. Maybe I'll do this on a different podcast. But there are levels to it. Why would I want to operate somewhere where he's not going to bless? I want the best. 
There's a reason I pray, Lord, bless me with the precious dew from heaven above and the deep waters that lie below, with the best that the sun can uh, bring forth and the finest the moon can yield, with the choicest gifts of the ancient mountains and the fruitfulness of the everlasting hills and the favor of God that dwells in the burning bush. Why would I pray the scripture over me? Why would I pray? Why would I pray the scripture that says, Lord, command a blessing on all my storehouse and all that I undertake and in the land that you give me? Why would I... Why would I pray those prayers and those scriptures over me only to ask God to do things that he's not going to bless? Why would I say bless me in the city and in the field when I'm asking for things that he's not going to bless? Come on, y'all. But we become what we worship. So I've decided that that's what I'm going to worship. I'm going to worship God. I'm going to worship God, and I'm going to try to worship him the way he wants to be worshipped. I think that's key. I think that's key. And I don't know why we're going to stand him, but I'm going to trust him on this. I think that's key is that we worship God the way that he wants to be worshipped. Y'all think about love languages. If you were in a relationship, and a lot of us do this, and we love somebody with our love language, it's selfish. People do it every day. I know people who do it, and people do it every day. We love people. It's easy to love you the way I want to be loved. But to truly take a step back and to love somebody the way that they want to be loved is real love. But how difficult is that? How difficult is that? Mm. How difficult is that? Last verse. 21. Neither repented they of their murders, nor of their sorceries, nor of their fornication, nor of their thefts. Now, it's interesting to me, probably because I spent a lot of time with somebody who is in pharmacy school, last year pharmacy school, but sorceries, and I found this out some time ago, uh, comes from the same root of, of pharmaceuticals or drugs. Um, and, and, I, and I read something about this that the goal of pharmaceuticals is to convince man to live more free because there is a, a patch. There's a patch to fix the hurt, to fix the pain. And so if man eats what he wants, there's a patch. If man sleeps with what he wants and contracts things, there's a patch. If man goes places and does things that he doesn't have any business and exposes himself to things, there's a patch. And the thing about the patch is it's not a cure. You ever notice that modern medicine hates that word cure? We don't like the cure. We like to say things are in remission. Because because that would suggest that, that you don't need a patch anymore. So, you know, they, they repented nor of their sorceries or their trickery or their drug use or, 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 or their need to patch and not to fix because, because to fix or to cure would mean that you would have to admit there was a Jesus. Ooh. To, to fix a sin-sick soul, you'd have to admit that there was a Jesus. You can't fix it with Satan. Yoga won't fix that. Horoscopes won't fix that. Chanting won't fix that. But a real encounter with Jesus will. So we stay away from the word cure. They repented not of their sorceries, nor of their fornication, because their fornication helped cause more damage. They repented not of their murders. No, I, I tore more families apart. They didn't repent of that. No other things that I stole from you. And, and, and not, just, not just thefts as in money or things, but social theft. Ooh. Not just financial theft, uh, but social, you know, politics. Ooh, like Washington. Hmm. Or United Nations. Hmm. You know, organizations that were meant to make us more evolved but seem to just be keeping us in chains all the more. Let's go to 2 Timothy 3. But evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and has been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them. Evil men are going to be evil men. And there will be some who will not receive the truth and will not walk in the way of righteousness and will not trust God. There will be people who won't get it and there will be people who will walk astray. 
But understand that even though they exist, verse 14 says, But continue in the things that thou hast learned and has been assured of, knowing of them who thou knowest. Because when you know him who you've learned of, then you'll earn, you'll find that ceiling that will spare you from the chaos we talked about. Revelation 9 was a heavy one. It was a heavy one. I hope that you received something, uh, saw something, got some revelation, some understanding. Um, and I hope that I deciphered this intelligibly, uh, that you did discover something. Y'all let me know what you think about Bible school. Y'all shoot me an email. Um, Rev Kojo uh, at Nineveh.org or N.A. Jones at thekojocompany.com. Y'all send, shoot me an email. I want to know what you think. Um, and we'll, we'll see you next week. This has been Bible School with Reverend Kojo. <laughs>